Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a major. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Ooh, you heard that cacophony in the marketplace of ideas. And here's what I bet you agree with me on. When you go out there and you stop and you listen to what's being talked about, bought and sold in the various booths in the marketplace of ideas, you know what one of the busiest booths is out there? Yeah, talking about the end of the world. How do I know that? Oh, uh, let me just take out a list. I won't because that would eat up far too much of the program. But let me tell you, in the last 10 years alone, how many movies Hollywood has made about the end of the world. Now, trust me, they're not based on anything we read in Ezekiel or Daniel or Revelation, but there's just something in the human heart that draws people to conversations about the end. I I think we were given a big hint. God has placed eternity in our hearts, and somewhere along the way, we've decided if there was a beginning, there's an end. And as the poet says, will it end with a bang or with a whimper? And so it becomes an open door for us to talk about his glorious return. But now let's move away from the world and just get into the church. Why is this such a confusing topic in the church? And why, by the way, do we hold on our perspective so tightly that sometimes it causes animus among brothers and sisters? But then there's the overarching idea that this is really about prophecy. And it isn't about fear, by the way. It really is about having our heart beat a little faster. Because the last time I checked, God has 100% correct affirmation of every prophecy that's been filled thus far. Therefore, this is almost like a syllogism. You could deduce that God's going to be 100% accurate on why and how and when prophecy is going to be fulfilled regarding the end times. But sometimes we just need a really good teacher to help us kind of figure it all out. I mean, we read that stuff in Revelation and our eyes glaze over about bowls and beasts and we can't get it. And then what is Gog and Magog and what countries will go after Israel? And oh my, look at what's happening in Israel. Does that mean that we are living in the end times? A big question on a lot of people's hearts, by the way. Even secular opinion makers are taking up this question. Well, I'm thrilled that we have an opportunity to listen to a fabulous Bible teacher this hour. Dr. Robert Jeffress is with us. He's senior pastor of the 15,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He's got a daily radio program. Maybe you've heard it. It's called Pathway to Victory. It's heard on over 1,000 radio stations across the country. And in addition to that, he's got a weekly TV program that airs in 195 countries. When he's not doing his radio show, when he's not doing his television program, when he's not showing up on various platforms and national TV, he writes. And he's written nearly 30 books, including Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. We had a fabulous conversation on that book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life and 18 Minutes with Jesus. But his latest, being tapped into the culture as he is, is called Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. This is going to be a fabulous conversation. So, Dr. Jeffress, the warmest of welcomes and just a couple of questions. And I know that good interviewers aren't supposed to ask this question, but I think sometimes it reveals someone's heart. If out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, I think books that are written say something about the heart and mind of the author. So you've written on a whole bunch of topics out there. You talk to your agent, you talk to your publicist, they tell you what they're interested perhaps in what they'd like you to write, but it has to be fire in your bones because writing a book is not an easy task. 
Why Bible prophecy? Why end times? Why now? Well, thank you, Janet. First of all, it's great to be back with you again. Thank you so much for having me. <clears throat> you know, uh, you have been around the book publishing industry. You know, it usually takes 18 months to two years from the inception of an idea to the publication of a book. Well, after October 7th, Hamas's invasion of Israel, we started being bombarded at our ministry with questions about, is this the signal that the end times are here, especially mm-hmm. with the threat of Iran and Russia? involvement. And so we put together, I wrote this book in four weeks, and uh, it took a total of eight weeks to get it out and into the marketplace, because people were asking the question, are we living in the end times? Interestingly, Janet, uh, before the Hamas invasion on October 7th, Newsweek had done a poll and found that 40% of Americans, now this is Christians and non-Christians, said they believe we are living in the end times. <laughs> and I think it's what you were speaking to in the introduction. There is something instinctively that tells people, whether they're believers or not, that the world can not continue the way it is forever and ever. History is marching towards some great great climactic event. And of course, we know that event to be the second coming of Jesus. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you on behalf of the people who are going to be blessed by this book for being attuned, excuse me, and for getting it out in such short order, because I do believe that there is a hunger to know, particularly when we see cataclysmic events like what happened on October 7th. But I also used another word, and this one is very germane to the church. We want the world to get excited about this, but the church should have the front row seats on this one. This has everything to do with Bible prophecy. Why should we care about Bible prophecy? Well, I think you said it very well, because uh, first of all, it comes from uh, the lips of God himself. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled with the first coming of Christ, but there are many more prophecies in the Bible about his second coming. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, for every one prophecy about Christ's first coming to Bethlehem, there are eight about his second coming and his kingdom. And the reason we ought to care about Bible prophecy is it's a major theme of the Bible. You can tell how important the topic is by how much ink God devotes to it. You know, I said 1,800 prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talk about the second coming. Uh, 25 of the 27 books of the New Testament deal with the topic. This is an important topic. And by the way, if I could say this, Janet, at the risk of offending some, if you're in a church where the pastor rarely, if ever, talks about the second coming of Christ, you need to run, not walk, but run out of that church as quickly as you can. You've got a pastor that's guilty of pastoral negligence. Mm, Preach it, brother. Couldn't agree more. And not only that, but I think Bible prophecy doesn't have to be a scary topic, and it is for a lot of people. If God only gives us 66 books, every word inerrant, transcendent, immutable, inspired, the Bible doesn't contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. And as Dr. Jeffress was just saying, if there are 1,800 mentions of end times in the Old Testament, if one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament deals with the end times, if 25 out of the 27 books in the New Testament deal with this topic, I think God's trying to tell us something and we ought to pay attention. So when we come back, Dr. Jeffress has brilliantly taken seven key questions regarding the end times, and that's what he addresses in the book. Roll up your sleeves, start thinking critically and biblically. We're going to look at those questions when we get back.
The truths of the Christian faith are powerfully clear and wonderfully deep, but sometimes we don't fully understand what we believe. That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's Truth Tool. Know the foundations of faith and reinvigorate your walk with Jesus. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. What a joy to spend time with Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, 15,000 members. But there's just something about teaching the Word of God line upon line, precept upon precept that drives people into the pews. They're hungry for more, and that's when they get when they go to First Baptist Church in Dallas. You also hear him on radio and TV in his Pathway to Victory program, and he's a wonderful author, close to 30 books. And his latest, really tapping into what the culture is asking right now, that, that reference that was made earlier that 40% of all Americans, believers and non-believers, think that we're living in the end time. So what an opportunity for evangelism, by the way. So his latest book is called, Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. So you're going to get in-depth answers in the book. And I've got a link, by the way, on my information page. You can click on through to discover how to get your copy. But these are wonderful questions to start an in-depth conversation about the end times. And first, we start with the word end times. Um, Dr. Jeffers, this is so interesting because there are people who say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, the New Testament does talk about the end times, but weren't they talking about, I don't know, 70 AD when Rome was sacked? And that not that really what the end times were? They weren't really forecasting. The New Testament wasn't really telling us about future time events. And if it is, well, what information, what definition rather do we glean from the words end times? What does it mean? Well, first of all, you were referencing, of course, the preterist view of the book of Revelation and prophecy. The Revelation is not about future events. It's about recorded history that's already taken place. And there's certainly been some similarities throughout history to some of the events described in the book of Revelation. But I ask people, you know, when was a third of the uh, grass burned up in the world? When was all marine life killed in the uh, uh, in the seas, as the book of Revelation foretells? You know, when do you see uh, uh, all of these apocalyptic events taking place that the book of Revelation, there is no time in history that corresponds to that. The book of Revelation is about the future. It's about specifically the unveiling of Jesus Christ. But back to your question, as far as the end times, that phrase is really of specific time in history that is yet to come. I believe it corresponds closely to the rapture of the church and the final seven years years of Earth's history that Daniel describes in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, when the Antichrist will sign a peace treaty with Israel. Uh, he will break that peace treaty halfway through those seven years. There'll be a pouring out of God's wrath of on the earth, but those terrible times will give way to something wonderful, and that's the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. That's technically the end times. We're not there yet. We're getting closer. We're in what the Bible refers to as the last days. Mm. And the last days actually began with Christ's ascension into heaven after his first coming. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. 
but I think there's a case, Janet, to be made for the fact that we are probably in the last of the last days <laughs> and getting closer to those end times, that final seven-year period. I-, I couldn't agree with you more, so let me pick up on what you just said, because you didn't get that opinion out of thin air. The Bible tells us to be good watchmen, to be good farmers, to good be, be good sailors. In other words, he talks about the signs that we're going to see. Is that where we could say that his return is imminent? I didn't say immediate. There's a marked difference between those two words. But his return is imminent because we're starting to see not just those signs being played out, but the space between those signs seems to be getting smaller and smaller. Talk to me about that. Well, I think you're exactly right. And look, this seven-year period of time that I referenced that begins with the peace treaty and, and ends with the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom, there are signs and prophecies that need to be fulfilled for those things to occur, and we're starting to see them occur. But the next event, I believe, on God's prophetic timeline is the rapture of the church. Mm-hmm. And I believe the Bible teaches there are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled for that. It could happen before we finish this interview today. Mm -hmm. As you look past the rapture and see those events you just referenced, those are falling into place. It must mean the rapture, which is seven years earlier, is even closer. Yeah. Amen to that. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I don't mind missing dinner at all. I'd rather be in glory. So <laughs> when we and, talk... you know, Janet, could I just say this? You know, people say, well, people have been saying the end is coming. Why should I care about the end times? Yes, so exactly. When I, when I first started working with Fox News more than 10 years ago, one of my earliest friends was a guy named Alan Combs. He was mm-hmm. the resident liberal at Fox mm-hmm. News. He was Jewish, but we became great friends, and he used to always let me share the gospel on his show. And one night he said, Pastor, do you believe you'll be alive to see the return of Jesus Christ? I said, I don't know, Alan, but it really doesn't matter. He said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? I said, well, I'm 58 years old, and I know in the next 30 years, one of two things is happening. Either he's coming or I'm going, but the end <laughs> is close for me, and it's close for you, and we better be ready. Yeah, amen. And that this is the open door to evangelism that I was talking about. And I pray that our mutual friend, Alan, somehow, somewhere came to know Yeshua as his Messiah before he stepped into eternity. So what a wonderful answer that you gave him. So uh, let me go back to this idea about the, the, the every prophecy that needs to be fulfilled prior to the rapture has been fulfilled. That gives me butterflies in my stomach because it really does make us say, I think with some semblance of certainty, his return is imminent because we're not waiting for any other prophecy before that harpazo, as it says in First Thessalonians, takes place. And that's pretty exciting. But when we talk about this beginning of the seven years starts with the peace treaty, this is why I think so many people at First Baptist were asking you, are we living in the end times? Because here, this is where we use the brain that God gave us. It starts with a peace treaty. If there's a peace treaty, the presupposition is there has to be a war. When Israel's 9-11 takes place on September 7th, is this the beginning of a tumultuous war that sets the stage for the peace treaty? I don't know. Maybe you don't know. But if we're paying attention, and I think that's what the Lord requires of us right now, is to be paying attention, certainly events like this catch our attention. Do they not? And they do. And look, this is holy speculation exactly. <laughs> on my part, holy in both senses of the word holy. But I think, you know, the Bible does say that the Antichrist will come to rule without any force. He won't have to take over from anybody. The world will acclaim him and follow him voluntarily because he will be thought to have brought 
peace finally to the Middle East. And I think you're right to surmise there must have been some cataclysmic event beforehand that would cause people to follow him. And it certainly may have corresponded to the rapture of the church, the disappearance of millions of Christians. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I I find this to be one of the most exciting topics in the Bible. And I'm so glad we're talking with Dr. Robert Jeffress about it. His new book, Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. More after this. we living in the end times that's the brand new book by dr robert jeffers senior pastor of first baptist church in dallas texas and host of pathway to victory heard on radio and tv all around the globe so we were just talking about israel and we were talking about that peace treaty and if you really and truly want to know something about prophecy i give you the state of israel 1948 was nothing more and nothing less than the fulfillment of prophecy. The U.N. played a role, the United States, the first country to affirm their right to exist as a state. But it was the fulfillment of prophecy. And uh, for those who were alive in 1948, it must have taken their breath away if they're going through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. That had to be a stunning moment of absolute clarity of the fulfillment of prophecy. So that raises a whole series of questions, particularly for a church that sometimes struggles with the space between Malachi and Matthew and thinks that somewhere along the line, God changed his mind and replaced the nation of Israel with the church, which is another problematic idea working its way through some of our churches in America today. But argue, if you will, Israel is, in fact, hugely important when it comes to the end times. Dr. Jeffress, talk to us about that. What role will Israel play? This is one of your seven questions. Well, it is. And uh, to put it succinctly, Bible prophecy begins and ends with Israel. Mm -hmm. You know, you can divide the Bible into two parts. Genesis 1 through 11 is man's alienation from God. But Genesis 12 through Revelation 22 is about God's reconciliation with man. And that reconciliation plan began in Genesis 12 with a man named Abraham 4,000 years ago. God made an unconditional promise to Abraham and his descendants of a land, a seed, and a worldwide blessing. And uh, God gave Abraham and his descendants the promise of endurance. No other nation, Janet, has this promise of endurance. The United States doesn't have it. But God said Israel would forever be an object lesson of his divine justice, faith, and love, and every other attribute. And uh, ever since God made that promise to Abraham, Satan has tried to thwart that plan to show God cannot keep his promise. He's tried to destroy Israel. He's done so through human leaders like Herod, Pharaoh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. This is a spiritual attack by Satan, what we saw on October 7th, to show God God cannot be counted on to keep his promise. So if you want to know where we are on God's prophetic timeline, just look at Israel. Israel is God's alarm clock for the future. Amen. Could not agree with you more. What about people who say, well, Israel is, even though we call it the land where Jesus walked, we even refer to it as the Holy Land, it's a markedly secular society. So surely whatever was stated in the Old Testament must be mitigated by the secular state of Israel today. That's a false teaching, is it not? And tell me why, if God, who is an everlasting God and keeps his promises, has not retracted his promise about Israel. Well, 
first of all, the covenant God made was with Abraham and his believing descendants. There's no other way for Israel to be saved other than the way Gentiles are saved, and that's through faith in Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Uh, You have to be both a physical and spiritual descendant of Abraham to inherit that land that was spelled out in Genesis 15. It's an actual piece of real estate. It's not heaven. It's in the Middle East. And God said, this is going to be yours forever. And Janet, the way God signified that it was a forever covenant was the way the treaty was ratified with Abraham. In Abraham's day, uh, if two kings made a covenant, they would take animals, separate the animals, cut them in two, put them on either side, and the kings would walk between the animal pieces, each holding the torch, signifying their individual responsibilities in that covenant. But when God ratified the covenant with Abraham, he told Abraham to prepare the animal pieces, and then he put Abraham to sleep, and God alone, Genesis 15 said, walked through those animal pieces, Mm. signifying that this covenant was an unconditional covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Wow. Wow. Hugely, hugely important. The next question that you take up, and I think this is so interesting, because again, if we're being astute observers, as the New Testament calls us to be, we have to be saying, ooh, again, a rapid succession of these kinds of events in shortened order. So you posited the question this way, what news events signal the end times? Talk to us about that. Yeah, you know, people rightly so would say, well, wait a minute, why do you get all worked up about the end times with what's going on? We've always had earthquakes. We've always had wars and rumors of wars. We've always had pestilences or pandemics. This is nothing new. We've always had apostasy. Jesus said, when you see these things happen, the end has not come yet, but they will be like the labor pains, the birth pains, the mother experiences. You know, my wife ended up going to the hospital several times prematurely because of premature labor. But when those labor pains start increasing in frequency and intensity, then you know something big is about to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true with these final seven years. You're going to see the wars and rumors of wars, the pandemics, the earthquakes, they're going to increase more and more and more, signifying that the end is coming. Yeah, that's Again, how important it is. And Janet, if I could, and let me just say, we need to avoid the error of fanaticism in Bible prophecy, setting dates and trying to make every headline every day in the paper signifying something. Not every headline is relevant, and we don't need to be crying out the end is here when it's not. Jesus said in Matthew 24, no man knows the hour or day. But that's the reason we ought to be prepared at all times, because nobody knows when it's going to happen. Amen. 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 And let, let me pick up on this idea of fanaticism, because it is, as you write in the book, one of the three extremes that we need to avoid when it comes to Bible prophecy. So fanaticism is one. But when we come back, if you'd be so kind, tell us about the other two so that we can approach this and the way in which the Gospels want us to approach it. The book is called, Are We Living in the End Times? Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. You read it, you get the answer, share it with a friend, and just go back to something that Dr. Jeffers shared early on. 40% of Americans, that's believers and non-believers, think we're living in the end times. What an open door to share the good news. And as we know, the Gospel changes everything. Back after this. The Bible says the Word of God illuminates our walk through life. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without it, we stumble and fall. 
In the Market with Janet Partial is designed to help you look at the headlines of the day through the lens of Scripture. When you become a partial partner, you help to make this broadcast possible. And as a partial partner, you'll receive exclusive benefits. So why not become a partial partner today? Call 877-JANET-58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. If you are just joining us, the warmest of welcomes, and you are going to want to hear this conversation from the beginning, so be sure and go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Left-hand side, you'll see the words past programs. Click it on, download this hour in its entirety. You can do either of the two hours we do every day going back a full year, so that's how big our audio library is. And you're going to want to hear everything that Dr. Robert Jeffress has been telling us and answering the question to his newest book, Are We Living in the End Times? So what he does is he takes seven key questions and answers them about the future. He is, unless you don't know, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. There are 15,000 members to that church. He's also the host of the radio and TV program, Pathway to Victory, that's literally heard globally. And he's a prolific author of multiple, multiple books. So we're taking a look at some of the things that are happening. And just before the break, in one of the questions, what news events signal the end times? And you reference what we all hear, the earthquakes, the volcanoes, the wars, the rumors of wars, etc. But you also reference the idea that not unlike birth pangs, a term that the Bible uses, they get shorter and shorter and the space between the time quickens. And there's a quickening going on that we think, wow, these events, again, no man knows the hour of the day, not even the son, only the father. But if you're being a good observer of the signs, exactly as Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, you have to pay attention and things are happening. But we need to avoid extreme postures on this. And you talked, Dr. Jeffress, before the break about avoiding fanaticism. And by the way, can I just add my two cents? And I'd like you to add your $10. Uh, The fanaticism (laughs) part bothers me because it's an embarrassment to the church. If the declarative statement is there in scripture that nobody knows, only the father, when some person sets a date, we become a a laughing stock to the world and it besmirches our role as an ambassador for Christ. Does it not? It really does. And in fact, in the book, I list all of the times throughout history, many of the times people have predicted the end and, uh, like you said, the great embarrassment. And, uh, you know, I remember even Jesus said, not the Son of God knows, which raises all kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Of course, he knows now. But when he was on earth, he temporarily gave up some of his rights as God, and that was the right to know when. But if Jesus doesn't know, I guarantee you no TV preacher knows when Jesus <laughs> is coming back. That's good. That's good. And I include myself in that. (laughs) (laughs) You will never be accused of date setting. I can say that for certain. So fatalism and cynicism are two other extremes we have to avoid. Can you define each and explain why they are to be avoided? Really, fatalism is the more common response I see in the church today. I don't see a lot of people even talking about the coming of Christ, much less date setting. They tend to be fatalists. They say, well, if if he's coming back, he'll do it on his timetable, and I don't need to worry about it. Uh, Just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, Mm -hmm. and so forth. No, the fact that Christ is coming back again, the the fact that people are going to be lost forever and spend eternity separated from God, it ought to motivate us to work that much harder, sharing the gospel with as many people as possible as soon as possible. John 9, 4, Jesus said, work while it is still day, for the night is coming that uh, when nobody can work. And you know, Janet, the Bible never divorces Bible prophecy from practical everyday mm. living. Mm. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, seeing that all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming? of the Lord. Yeah. 
It's so important. There's a profound theological question inherent in this fatalistic worldview. If you decide that you're just going to hold your hands together and pull the sheets over your head and say, just wake me when it's over, this (laughs) opens, I think, the door for all kinds of outright disobedience. How are we to seek the welfare of the city if we have a fatalistic worldview? How are our feet going to be swift for the proclamation of the gospel if we have a fatalistic worldview? In other words, that becomes almost a carte blanche to say, I have an excuse to sit this one out until he calls me home. I, I don't find that anywhere in scripture. So that's why having this wrong perspective on the end times is very detrimental to living a life of obedience and faithfulness to him, it seems. Well, that's right. And by the way, that's what uh, uh, motivated Paul to write his letters to the Christians at Thessalonica. They had bought into this idea, well, uh, Christ is coming back. I can quit my job and go to Disney World or whatever they had to do back then. But, I mean, that's the idea that many Christians have. You know, Christ is coming back. I'm going to go enjoy myself. Fatalism is not the right response, nor is cynicism. And that's the third extreme that uh, many believers have adopted. You know, uh, Peter says in Second Peter 3, in the last days, scoffers will come with their scoffing, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, for thousands of years, people have been prophesying his coming. Where is it? I remember, Janet, hearing a well-known pastor here in the Dallas Metroplex of a major church on Easter Sunday. I was listening on the radio, and he said, for 2,000 years, people have said Jesus Christ is coming back again. Well, he hasn't come and he's not coming. The first time Jesus came, he came to Bethlehem. But the second coming of Christ is when he comes into your heart. Now, that is rank heresy. And unfortunately, it's the heresy that has invaded many churches right now. And uh, the signal theme throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, is Jesus is coming back again. Yes. Amen and amen. And that takes us perfectly to Matthew 24, where all of those hallmarks of what are going to happen in the last day are there. And I think particularly for the mature saint who is who is aware, cognizant, quickened, if I can use that term again, to what's going on around us, this this insidious deception and heresy and apostasy, if I might be so bold, that's worked its way and manifest itself through the teaching at the pulpit is, well, let me just ask you, as a man who's been serving the Lord as a pastor for a long, long time, have you ever seen it this bad before? I know we've gone through cycles in the church, but there just seems to be this uh, acceptance of heresy without any pushback or blinking of the eye like I've never seen it in my lifetime before. I've never seen anything like it. And I think this is one of the things that is, to me, the strongest signals that the end is getting closer every day. And, uh, you know, uh, people are being destroyed spiritually because of a lack of teaching and preaching uh, from the churches. And uh, I really uh, lay that at the feet of pastors who are not doing their job in teaching the whole counsel of God. But it's one of the signs. Spiritual deception is one of the first signs Jesus gave in Matthew 20. 24, 4 to 5 about uh, the end times. And I think we're seeing it like we haven't seen in a long time. I couldn't agree more. So what are some of the other signs Jesus talks about in Matthew 24? Spiritual deception, international conflict. He said in verses 6 and 7, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. And again, we're looking at what's happening right now in the Middle East. And people say, well, they've been fighting over there in the sand for 4,000 years. What's different this time? I'll tell you what's different this time. Two words, nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw this with Hamas 
invading Israel. We know that the force behind that was Iran, which is close, if not already, possessing uh, nuclear weapons. You see uh, uh, Russia, China, the United States. I think the last thing I read was there were 13,000 nuclear weapons in the world today that we know of, many more that we don't know of. And I think, again, we've seen illustrated how a regional conflict like we've seen recently in Israel is going to quickly escalate into a worldwide conflict. Yeah. You know, one respected military official said recently, we are only six steps away from World War Three. Wow. Wow. What? So again, I say to our brothers and sisters, that's why our feet have to be swift in the proclamation of the gospel. Tap into this interest, this fantasy, this fascination of what is going to happen when the world ends. And it's a wonderful way to meet people where they're at and Lord willing, take them where they need to go and find themselves at the foot of the cross. So, wow, that's absolutely stunning when you think about it in those terms. The other thing too is Matthew 24 talks about the persecution of Christians, which is so interesting because so Open Doors releases its world watch list. North Korea has been hovering at the number one country in the world where it's difficult to be a Christian. Even the State Department puts out its list of countries of particular concern. The uh, U.S. Commission on International Religious Liberty puts out their list as well. And we are seeing not the numbers get smaller, but when Dr. Jeffers, we hear people say that more Christians were persecuted in the 20th century for their faith than all previous 19th centuries combined. It's got my attention. Well, it's mine, too. And look, Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Uh, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Mm-hmm. I believe that Christians are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before those final seven years. That doesn't mean we're going to escape persecution or tribulation. As you've noted, Christians around the world are experiencing it right now. What we don't have to fear is God's persecution. God pouring out his wrath on us. We're exempted from that because of what Christ did for us. But we're not exempt from worldwide persecution, and I think it's already uh, lapping up on the shores of America right now. It's going to be a part of our country more and more as time unfolds. What an excellent point. Let me just linger there for a moment, which is if we think it's an over-there problem, I think— Awake, O sleeper, is the watchword. You realize that the discrimination we're seeing now is always the precursor to persecution. So those days may be coming, and we have much to learn from the persecuted church. So if I may, Jesus, if he makes the point of drawing a distinction, then there's a reason why the distinctive is there. So what is the difference between apostasy or spiritual deception and widespread apostasy? They're both enumerated. Well, that's right. And again, uh, spiritual deception uh, uh, means uh, believers being deceived uh, by false teaching. Uh, Widespread apostasy, that's not falling from faith to unfaith. Uh, The fact is, uh, uh, people who are apostate uh, aren't saved to begin with. And so I think it's a, a hardening of unbelief is what he's talking about in Matthew 24, 10 to 12. At that time, many people will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Wow. Wow. Again, just wake up, look around. Are we living in the end times? It's an excellent question, and it's an important one. And I'm so glad that Dr. Robert Jeffress takes a look at seven key questions and answer that back after this.
Dr. Robert Jeffress is with us, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He's the host of the daily radio program, Pathway to Victory, and also TV program as well, but seen in 195 countries around the world. Prolific author, nearly 30 books. And his most recent picks up on a question that's being talked about in the marketplace of ideas. Are we living in the end times? So what he does in this very user-friendly book is he puts forth biblical answers to seven key questions about the future, and they're fabulous. Now, if you thought I was going to give you all seven questions, no, (laughs) I want you to read the book. And if I've gotten you thinking about this, great. Go to our information page, click on through, and you'll discover how you can get a copy of the book. But I do want to take this last segment and just kind of do some deep thinking about our approach toward the end time. So here's a couple of them. So if in Matthew 24, and we just talked about spiritual deception versus widespread apostasy, and yet both are enumerated as things that will manifest themselves as we get to the end times. One of my most uh, frightening verses in Scripture, and maybe frightening is not the right word, but when I was a child growing up in the church, this is the verse that really caught my attention. And it talks about even the righteous being deceived. And I used to cry out to the Lord, please don't ever let me be deceived. Colossians talks about being taken captive through vain and hollow philosophies. So how do I, as a maturing, discerning saint, make sure I'm not wooed away by false teachings about the end times? Well, I think there are several things to do. I think, first of all, it has to be a part of our uh, own lives. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Mm. And, uh, you know, we need, a, I've heard somebody one time talk about getting a grasp on God's Word, and it's like you're putting your all your fingers around God's Word, and the first finger stands for hearing the Word of God, secondly, reading the Word of God, thirdly, studying the Word of God, fourthly, memorizing the Word of God, and finally, meditating on Scripture, turning it over and over in your mind, thinking of ways to follow God more closely. So that has to happen. And part of hearing God's Word is listening to programs like yours, Janet, being in a church to listen to somebody proclaim the Word of God, uh, hearing it on radio instead of listening to uh, news talk radio all Mm -hmm. the time. You know, by the way, people, so many Christians are anxious, and I ask them sometimes, you know, about their listening habits, and they'll spend three or four hours watching cable news or Mm -hmm. listening to uh, arguing people on talk radio, fill your minds with the Word of God. And that's yes. the best way I know to uh, serve as an antidote against spiritual deception. Oh, I love your answer and echo with such strong sentiment, exactly what you said. By the way, thank you for that five-finger approach. I hope I never forget that. Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate. So I want to ask you as a pastor again, and this is not a condemnation. It's it's housekeeping. It's cleaning. The days are going to get rougher. Okay, I remember when Craig, shortly after he came to the Lord, my husband took a class on the end times, and he had this wonderful pastor that came up from the Chicagoland area and taught at a New Tribes Bible Institute, which was had a branch in the city that we were living in. And this precious pastor said, before the tribulation comes, we're all going to start a tribulating. And he was letting people know that things are going to get rough. And I thought it was an absolutely great way to understand that it, it isn't going to go from absolute pie in the sky to things get terrible. It's going to be mission creep and incrementalism. So we have to be prepared now which takes me back to a rudimentary aspect of Orthodox Christianity, which is being immersed in the Word. As a pastor, does it bother you that we are perhaps now, and all of this is objective data gleaned from people like George Barna, 
that we are now more biblically illiterate and believe just a panoply of things that bear no resemblance to Orthodox Christianity, maybe in a state of abject ignorance like we've never been before. Does that bother you when in America there's practically a church on every corner? It, it, it bothers me, but it is also explanatory to me of why we're in the shape that we're in right now. Mm. I mean, uh, this didn't happen overnight. Uh, this happened by a slow slide away from God's Word. And uh, I, I just uh, think we're reaping what we've sown for all these uh, many years. You know, the most disturbing statistic to me we've talked about before, Janet, is nearly 60% of evangelical Christians believe there's more than one way to heaven other mm. than faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. That is mm. astounding to me. Wow. Wow. How do you evangelize if you don't understand there's only one name under heaven whereby men will be saved? I mean, that, but you don't know that unless you're in the word where that truth is told again and again and again. So you're going to hear it a thousand times, friends, but get into the word. And I, you know, you talked about listening habits. Uh, again, I'm not surprised, Dr. Jeffers, you would ask that kind of question and pursue those answers because you're so astute to what's going on in the world around us. But a great metric for where you are on this is, do you spend more time reading your email or reading the Word of God? And that's a real good metric to start with. That takes me to another thing, which is a lot of people avoid conversations about the end times because, honestly, they're just scared to death. Bowls and dragons and seals and trumpets and uh, it's too much. I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. So I don't even want to talk about it. Should we be afraid? We should be afraid, <clears throat> not 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 in a negative sense. I mean, I think we ought to have a fear of the Lord, and we ought to begin and end every day with the knowledge that one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. For unbelievers, that's the white throne judgment, for if any man's name was not written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. But many Christians are unaware, Janet, that we too as Christians have a judgment. It's not one for condemnation, but one for commendation. The Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about. And we need to live our lives with the realization that one day we are going to give an account for how we've lived our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely. So it goes back to the question and the statement and the conversation he had with Alan Combs. Either we're going up or he's coming down. How do we prepare for the end times? Well, I think there are many ways to prepare for it, but the most important way is to make sure you have the right spiritual clothing for Christ's return, that you're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus, not your own righteousness, which is sorely lacking, but in the righteousness of Christ alone. That's the most important thing. Amen. So the question on the table then is not, is he returning tonight? But if your life were to end tonight, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you would be when you stepped into eternity? Would you be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Who is this Jesus? What do you make of him? And who do you think he is? In fact, more importantly, who did he say he was? Thank you for a superb conversation, Dr. Jeffress. I do hope people will get this book because not only will it help them understand where we are in the, and I'll use the 50 cent word, the eschatological timeline, but it helps us to be able to give a reason for the hope that resides within us and the conversations about the end times and in a place called hope and with a person named Jesus. So get the book, Are We Living in the End Times? Check it out. It's on my information page in the market with JanetParshall.org, and you'll learn more. My heartfelt thanks to Dr. Robert Jeffress, who's been preaching clearly the Word of God for so many years and impacting millions of lives. We're so grateful for him. And thank you, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.